right, we are back once again. Oh. Uh, good, good, good. Oh, and man. Yeah, today Cinema Discovery Project. Cinema Discovery Project is back once again. It is the mid-July episode. We're recording now on July 15th, and summer's half half done, oh. and and uh, it's we're, been a bit of a dud, like we've said in the past, and it hasn't really picked up since. Yeah, <laughs> we, um, uh, right now we're just spinning because uh, we're waiting on the Criterion announcements. We talked about we Criterion are. on the last episode, we did. and now we're waiting for the new announcements, which is possibly going to include... Um, Spine one thousand, and we're, we're we're just waiting, and and uh, and it's didn't. I don't. We don't even know if it's going to happen because it's no. it's annoying. This is annoying. Yeah, our, our, <laughs> I mean, it messed up because our what, what our lead was going to be was going to be the announcement of Spine number one thousand, which is going to be included in these announcements, and it never happened. So it could happen during the show sometime. I know yeah, Stephen is frantically refreshing every <laughs> website page he can find. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, Twitter, Facebook. The, bam, the website, bam, bam. The, the, uh, the Criterion groups we're in. I know I'm just on the cri- I'm, di- I'm just on the Criterion page, refreshing uh, that yeah. on the on their website. Yeah, on their website. Yeah, I think that's probably be the first place it'll drop. For that's some reason, what I would think. They have like a not a delay, but like they I guess they have a social media priority. It's like their website, then Twitter, then all the other outlets pick it up, and then eventually they get to Facebook. I noticed that last time where it took no. like. Like an hour for them to actually officially post it on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, Facebook's always last. I guess so. It is yeah. Facebook after all. Um, I guess there's less eyes there than there would be on Twitter and. Yeah, other Twitter's become the the popular. And the big big rumor is that it was possibly Spine Number One Thousand is going to be a Godzilla multi movie box set because they have the rights to many Godzilla films. And it is an anniversary of the original Godzilla 60, film. 65th. 65th anniversary. Thank you, Stephen, for doing that math, because I was just yeah. going to say 1954, and then <laughs> uh, what's 1954 to now? But thank yeah. you for doing that math for me. Yes. It, uh, yeah, and that Toho's going to be at Comic-Con this weekend, yes. so there's a possibility that maybe they're going to wait uh, and, could do, be. and announce it then. So who it knows? Could be. They could wait until then to announce it. That would be kind of cool. Um, Toho, who is the, the Japanese country that you know makes their japanese godzilla films uh people don't realize this but i think there's only been now three american you know quote unquote american godzilla films that was godzilla 99 the roland emmerich garbage fest there was the gareth edwards one and then there was the one that just came out this year um King Godzi- of the Monsters. Godzilla King of Monsters. There's only been three of them. The rest have all been Japanese productions. Yeah. All of them. And this is <laughs> and this is the first time Toho's come to Comic-Con, so it's a big deal. It's, it's got to be something big, you know, yeah. whether they're announcing another movie or announcing Well, I, I something. think they already announced that they're rebooting their their Godzilla f- to start a universe. Are they? Because yeah, they, they, yeah. they do stuff like that all the time. They've rebooted Godzilla several times. Um, Godzilla has had many different iterations. Um, he's been a bad guy. He's been a good guy. He's been a mecha Godzilla. He's been yeah. a lizard. He's been a like some hybrid dinosaur thing. I mean, he's been so <laughs> many different things over the years. But we'll save all that for when we eventually do a Godzilla episode. But that's a whole, a whole Ugh. bunch of research to do because it's like I literally seen, sixty-five I haven't, years. I haven't seen many of them. So. I haven't seen a lot of them myself. I've seen. Like almost all the '60s stuff, except for like one 
because I'm trying to get them on Blu-ray, and then for some reason, the, some recent Blu-rays went out of print. It's a whole big, a whole big um, hassle. But today, talk about I guess you could say a legacy movie. Today we're having our, you know, kind of monthly spotlight on Charlie Chaplin's film The Kid, which came out in 1921, and it is his first feature length film yet again air quotes that you can't feature length really yeah this see. feature length in this is is uh you know almost barely almost not even an hour so um so yeah, nowadays it, it would mostly be considered to be a, a short film but really it, it, yeah i don't know what people's threshold is for um feature feature like what, what do you count as a feature i think anything that's as close to an hour as possible is a feature I mean, short films can be anywhere between, like, five minutes and 25 minutes, half an hour, I guess. I don't know. It really all depends on what you think. But this is technically his first feature. And before we get into it, um, we'll, I want to discuss a little bit about Charlie Chaplin's backstory because I think it really impacts uh, this film uh, mightily because a lot of the things that are in this film are very much um, kind of homages and things that were part of Charlie Chaplin's life. Um, for those of you who don't know, Charlie Chaplin is one of the most iconic filmmakers, oh, yeah. actors, all around every man. He composed the music, he wrote stories, directed this all is that basically, kind of stuff. If you, if you watch it, you're like, oh man, it's like M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> you know, who's like, I produced, I wrote, I... I made all the props. I, you know, like M. Night Shyamalan's done everything. It's the same thing. Well, back then it was more for necessity than anything. Yeah, I get. Well, apparently he was a bit of a perfectionist and control freak. Yeah. So that could be part of the yeah, reason yeah, why. Sure, sure. Uh, but, yeah, but back then it was more a necessity because it was film was new. I mean, very much so. Yeah, he was yeah. kind of right there at the beginning of, you know, of what we call cinema history, really, yeah. working in the 19 teens. Um, he was born in 1889. There isn't an official like birth record of like of his birth. People just know that it was like huh. April. Ch Charlie Chaplin. Charlie yeah. Chaplin's a hundred years older than yeah. me. There's That's sometimes great. you sometimes you see that where like someone's birth, someone's age can be either something or something. I think um, uh, Joan Crawford was one of those where they didn't know quite what when she was born or something like that. But anywho, they knew it was I April. Uh, 16th, 1889, and he was born in England. Uh, he passed away in 1977 at the age of 88, I believe. Um, and he died in Switzerland, where he spent a good portion of the later half of his life. Once he left, and kind of was exiled from Hollywood and the United States because of the Red Scare and all that communist hunt, witch hunt and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He pretty much stayed overseas and only really came back um, I think once in the early 70s, 1971, to get an honorary Oscar and yeah. to be honored and kind of welcomed back into, you know, Hollywood and, you know, cinema history proper. But he, early on in his life, he had a very tumultuous childhood. His parents were estranged from one another. He had step-siblings and he lived a very impoverished childhood. Like he was, you know, he was kind of in and out of, um, like, not like or, like not orphanage, but like homes for destitute destitute children, and his mother um, really struggled to just provide for her children. She was, I think, in and out of um, mental institutions at some points in his early life. There were points where he basically had to live and fed for himself on the streets, and all while that he ended up becoming doing like um, 
like plays and doing things on on the stage and becoming yeah. part of vaudeville and all that kind of stuff because this kind of you know predates the movie era movies really didn't kick in until the teens and the 20s with the silent movie era and he kind of did it did that from a very young age his parents were actually involved in the theater so he was on stage at the time he was like five years old so he had an early early kind of you know introduction to acting if you will to, yeah. to being on the stage and whatnot but it really wasn't until he was about 24 years old in 1913 he sti- he signed a contract with Keystone and he came over to the United States and started doing movies the silent mirror movies and he wasn't a big star initially he was you know smaller he was in smaller roles and he didn't develop his tramp you know quote unquote tramp character which yeah. he's most well known for until the second or third movie that he did and it was at, it was interesting that he 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 did it twice but the movie that he shot like after the first time he did it ended up coming out before the movie he at, he was actually yeah. the tramp in first so that so it's kind of a flip-flop there. But that Tramp character obviously would become his, his, his icon throughout his legacy and his life. And it was at Keystone where he started becoming a bigger star. And then it was after that. He moved to other studios. Um, he moved to SNA. Then he moved um, to, to Mutual. And then after Mutual, he worked at um, uh, First National. And that's where this movie comes in. First National is the, the studio where the kid was made. And it was actually at First National where he didn't like like the the way the studio was like treating the movie they didn't think they took it seriously he didn't think they they took like production seriously he didn't he didn't like the practices i guess and that's when he decided to uh branch off and create united artists which we talked a little bit about when we yeah back in our silent film episode yeah where he it was it was he mary pickford douglas fairbanks and dw griffith basically teamed up and created united artists where basically the artists have all the control of the production they're they're it's their productions and it was kind of the first time that has ever happened um it was united artists is still technically around it's gone through many different ownerships and iterations over the years and whatnot but it's it's still around and it's a subsidiary of somebody everybody's a subsidiary of somebody these days even the big ones but it but during that time he moved from making short films to making features and the first feature was the kid and the reason why I bring up all this past stuff is because at the time, right before he was making the kid, he was um, married married to someone who was a lot younger than him. Uh, this seemed to happen a lot in Charlie Chaplin's life where he really uh, got involved with women who were much, much younger. By much, much younger, I mean teenagers, literally. Yeah. Um, his first wife, they, yeah, I think he met and had... A relationship with when she was like 16 years old his second wife is actually in the kid and she's like 12 years old in this movie and they were married like three years after that or something so yeah he had a lot of things a lot of Con- problems con- controversial relation. yeah controversial. controversial obviously by today's standards at the time i'm not sure i'm assuming i'm assuming controversial back then as well um you know cultural Cultural things are different depending on the era, but still, it's not a good look at all. It really isn't. But the reason why I bring up his first marriage and is because it had an impact on this production. And the reason why it had an impact on this production is because um, the initially, um, he had to get married to this woman who's 
name I'm gonna look up because I can't I think it's worth I think it's worth knowing who she is uh, because um oh Mildred Harris that was her name and they were married from 1918 to 1920 so they got divorced right around the time that this movie was being yeah. made um, also initially the reason why they got married is because she was pregnant and at that ah. time obviously you know pregnancy out of wedlock is a huge situ- it's a huge thing it actually played a part in this movie right at the very beginning um, also uh, but it turned out that she wasn't pregnant but then she ended up being pregnant later on so they stayed together <laughs> but anywho unfortunately his child uh, died very soon after yeah. uh, birth I think and if I'm reading this right I think his his um, child was I think passed away like 10 days before the production of this movie it's really really unfortunate it, it really gives you a different uh, a thought it makes you look at the movie differently you know where his mind was when he was making this movie yes and it was also the post-production was caught up <clears throat> was caught up in the when he was going through um, divorce proceedings yeah. so um, apparently the the woman he was Mildred Harris, who he was divorcing, like, wanted, you know, his assets and things like that. Because he, by this point, he was a very wealthy... Oh, yeah, he was one of the biggest stars in the world. He was one of the biggest stars in the world, and the contracts that he had signed with uh, SNA Mutual and First National were, by modern-date standards, multi-million dollar contracts. Uh, You know, at the time, they were, like, you know, a hundred and something thousand dollars per year, but, but back then, that's a lot of money. And it's really um, just uh, just kind of like, and at the time, I don't know how the news broadcasts were and all that kind of stuff, but it's it's very interesting if you're going back and you're kind of seeing that, you know, throughout Hollywood, there's, there's all kind of relationship problems. You know what I mean? Well, people, Marriages, people, divorces, uh, and uh, that seems it's, to be universal. It's, it's, it's universal, yeah. I mean, everybody goes through things, and when you're a celebrity... Everybody, a lot of people end up finding out about that stuff a lot easier. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I don't try to judge celebrities on this stuff too harshly because everybody does. It happens to everybody or a lot of people, regular people. So, but yeah, um, so, the, so yeah. the child dying very soon. I'm trying to see where I read that it was before. Oh, yeah, 10 days before the production began. Yes. And so that had an impact on the way. This film, I think, is emotionally because it oh, is yeah. about a parent and child, a father and son. So you have to. So that was definitely impactful on the on the just the overall emotion that you feel in this movie. And we'll get into that when we you know dissect the film because it is a very short film. Apparently, the film also took like nine months to com- to complete, um, which seems like a long production at the time. And apparently. You know, he had because of the divorce proceedings, he had to smuggle out the the film in like coffee can, yeah. uh, coffee can containers in order to like finish like post like putting the film together in post yeah. um, without I guess lawyers getting at it. Apparently, the original cut of this movie was sixty eight minutes long, and yeah, it, yeah. which is very interesting because the cut we have now is eighty two minutes, fifty three minutes long, or yeah, yeah, so less. But what people, I don't think, realize is that he, he revisited the film in 1971, 1972, and I think re-edited it. So I think that's kind of the cut we have now, because there are actually deleted scenes. Yeah, I think he also redid the score in the 70s, yeah, too. He did that with a couple of his movies. I know that for The Gold Rush, uh, 
there's two cuts of the movie that are on the Criterion Blu-ray. There's the original 1924 cut, and then I think there's a cut that he did later on, which makes the film feel more like a sound picture versus yeah. being a direct uh, silent error picture. I find that the, his original cut is the better film. Uh-huh. They're not, like, gigantically different, but there is a different in the way each film is cut and the way each film emotionally feels based off the, well, based off of the score and it's interesting. cutting out certain things. And well, there's parts, there's parts even in this movie where it's a, you know, obviously it's a silent movie for most of it, but then they will use sound effects for certain uh, instances, like when the kid throws the rock through the window, you hear the glass break. Right. You know, and stuff like that. It's interesting how he decides when to use sound and when not to use sound. Very true. Um, he also like did the, he also composed the music for this movie as well. Yes. Which yeah. apparently he did in a lot of his movies. So he was very much a jack of all trades. So I guess it's a good time as ever to get into the movie. Let's um, jump into the yeah, Cinema Discovery. In- Cinema Discovery Project Machine, and yes. go back to 1921. Oh, hey, 20s. Charlie. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> We're going to watch your movie. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> um, so the movie starts off with um, a very interesting quote, and the reason why I yes. say that is because it's kind of like the first movie that's both a comedy and a, and a drama, so you could say it's yeah, he says, perhaps he says the first like, dramedy. Yeah, he says something like, what is it? It's something about this has a, lo- a movie with love, but and you might shed a tear or something. Yeah, like something that. like that. I wish I yeah. actually wrote down the exact quote, but <laughs> oh, here we go. A picture with a smile and perhaps a tear. Yeah, that's that's the quote. That's at the very beginning of this movie, and of course, the silent era. There's no talking. They use um, the intertitles, the, card, yeah. the title cards, and stuff like that to portray dialogue and things like that. So the movie starts off um, with a wide shot of. A, a hospital. hospital, right? Yeah, and, and it's it, a, says, it's it a says charitable. Yeah, it's a charity well, hospital. Yeah, 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 and it says that, but the story starts with a mother and uh, of sin or something yeah, it like says that. Like, like, yeah, like, not a child is her sin, but like, um, anywho, but it says like something about the mother yeah. and sin. I guess what when it but, comes to what you were talking about having a child out of wedlock. That's basically yeah. We just yeah yeah. Basically, it starts off with a woman leaving the hospital, and she has just had a child, and she is not married. Yeah. She child out of wedlock, which is a big faux pas back decades ago. People still frown upon it now, but, I mean, it's way more commonplace now. Yeah, it's, it's very common. It's now. kind of just the way life is. Things happen, traditions change, cultures change, things happen. But back then, obviously, it's a big, it's a big to-do. So... What you have here is the, the the woman leaves and the gates close and there's a holding shot of like I want to say the doctor and the nurse like looking just very judgmentally at, at the yeah. woman walking away, very judgmentally, and so she's walking away and she kind of doesn't know what to do. <laughs> she really oh, yeah. has I mean, no I mean, idea what's what to do, um, and she's kind of just walking around, walking around, and you do get a shot of like I guess the quote unquote father. Who's like waiting yeah. to see what's what happened? Well, I guess hasn't hear, heard from her. I mean, he might not even know that she was pregnant. I would assume he didn't even know. Yeah, I. And if he did, he he obviously, obviously didn't give didn't a care. shit. He wasn't because he there. wasn't there. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. There's like a picture of of her on the on the fireplace, and and it falls in the fire, and he kind of like pulls it out, and he's like, uh, well, we'll just throw it back in the fire. Yeah, and the, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And the woman who's 
but portrayed by Edna Purvavance, is basically just her character is called the Unknown Woman. I don't, they never give her a name throughout the movie. I don't think it's kind of a trope through a lot of uh, early story like storytelling where they don't they're not given names but given just you know their role oh, yeah. is you know the mother you know as you know as Charlie Chaplin is the tramp you know oh yeah it's kind of like in I mean this is you know, like ten literally ten years after this in the in um, Frankenstein. You know, the monster's not called Frankenstein. Yeah. He's not, um, he's not even, like, um... People get that. It's a misconception. Yeah, it's a misconception. It's, yeah. what, the monster, it, well, the monster's not called Frankenstein. The, the doctor's Frankenstein, but Dr. the monster Frankenstein. doesn't have a name. Not yeah. even in the credits, he's just called, like, the monster, or, yeah, he's called the, the Franken. It's called the Frankenstein monster. Yeah, but, I yeah. mean, at the official credit on IMDb for Boris Karloff is the monster. Yeah, yeah. That's it. He's not... He doesn't have a name. Yeah. Um, we people just kind of adopted that over time, but but so yeah, what Steven said happens is like he, I think he's like working someplace and he's got the picture yeah. and it falls in the fire. He picks it back up and it's like kind of half burnt. He's like, oh, forget yeah. it, yeah. throws it away. But what is interesting is the camera holds on it for a couple of extra seconds, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's saying something. That's visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. In a way, he's kind of burning away any sense of responsibility that he has to that person yeah. or perhaps he's burning away he's already he's already maybe decided something you know in his mind that he's maybe not going to see this woman anymore yeah or he's like, ar- oh, yeah oh well there yeah. she's gone or yeah. something like that and perhaps he's burning her out of his life we never see him throughout the rest of the movie so no. goodbye mr <laughs> irresponsible yeah and he throws so, it back in the fire and that's it and the woman decides She's kind of walking around the park. She's walking around. She's uh, she's basically going to abandon her child. Yeah, she's just looking for the right opportunity. Yeah, she's she's <laughs> wavering. She's like, where do I put this child? Where do I put this child? Oh, look, rich people. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll put it. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a, it's a, at least she's thinking about the kid thinking, a little bit. She puts a note on it that that says, you know, if you see, if you you know, you know, if you see, uh, like. Uh, this child is an orphan. If you come across it, love it or something like that. Yeah, she puts it in a car, in the back seat but of a car. But she puts it in the back seat of a car in front of a rich person's house, thinking, okay, they're gonna come out, they're gonna see this baby, yeah, and they'll yeah. take it in and raise it for themselves. Apparently, she didn't think that. Perhaps they'll just take it to an orphanage. Well, or, well, like or, or the fact that that might not even be the car of the rich people. Yeah, that which... could not be their car. I mean, it is the nineteen twenty. Maybe only rich people have cars at that time. Yet again, it's a cultural thing that we really don't associate with now because everyone seemingly well, has the thing a car. Is, is, is these two, two people well, these two guys I guess steal the car yeah but these two guys ended up but unfortunately these two robber dudes who are pretty yeah. much pieces of crap they steal the car and they drive it to like uh, the bad the part ghetto. of town the ghetto, the ghetto, yeah. I guess <laughs> one would say the poor district of town and they get out of the car and they're just like aren't they like sm- like celebrating they're about to smoke, yeah they're about to c- drink and, and then suddenly they, they hear they hear the yeah. cries and they get scared yeah. and the guy pulls out a gun and i'm like probably nobody's <laughs> ever heard a baby talk a cry before. what the fuck is that <laughs> what is this nonsense <laughs> oh goodness and he's got like a he's got like a revolver it's big yeah and then, and then you know like he's, he goes in and finds the baby and he picks up the baby with one hand and you can see the gun really close to the baby i'm like jesus Damn, is he going to shoot the baby? And, and instead of doing, I guess, the courageous thing, not even courageous, the right thing, which would be to drive it back and leave the baby maybe at the doorstep and Something. still steal the car, they just, he just leaves it in the trash. <laughs> I mean, Yeah, he just sits goodness. it on the ground next to some trash cans and just yeah, leaves. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, damn. I mean, Jesus. you do hear, I, 
shockingly, this movie came out in 1921, and you you hear horrific s- stories in the news like this today yeah. of parents like leaving their children in dumpsters and leaving their children wherever and just doing hor- just horrific things. And it's yeah. like, damn, that's kind of kind of contemporary. It's always been a thing, apparently. Thing. <laughs> apparently, people have always been crap. <laughs> people have yeah. always been trash. Um, but anywho, they leave the baby there, and they and they. Um, and they go away. They they go. Away. Yeah, they leave, and then uh, then we get our introduction to the tramp. Yeah, and he comes walking, walking down, and he's like, he, he almost gets gar- the- he almost gets garbage thrown at him. Yeah, uh, the he first does. Time. yeah. When he's walking, someone's like dumping trash and dumping the trash uh, yeah. outside of their window, and he almost gets trash dumped on him. That's a heck of a metaphor. Um, what's very interesting is this, you know, this tramp character. I'm pretty sure it's been talked about incessantly, but it's. It's something that's straight out of Charlie Chaplin's life. Like, like I, yeah. the, the reason why I mentioned all of his his early childhood stuff briefly, is because he literally, um, you know, lived on the streets. He literally like was poor throughout his entire childhood. So he understands that look, like that demeanor, where that comes from. But he's, but he kind of flips it on its head because his tramp character, although who is in, eternally impoverished and just a ragtag wearing person is always like optimistic he's always nice he's always loving he's always caring it's very very interesting how how he just flips that on its head like that's not what you would expect from somebody living in such you know squalor if you will but he comes along and he is about to smoke a cigarette and he (laughs) finds the baby in the dumpster and he doesn't know what to do with it initially. Yeah, he's he's walking around looking for a reason why the baby's there, and then he sees this lady that has a baby carriage with a baby in it. He's like, oh, I wonder if she misplaced her baby. So he goes up and tries to put the baby in her carriage, like you know. And then she's like, that's not my baby. Yeah, she already has one. <laughs> yeah, she already has it. So he hands it back, and then he try he tries to do it again. And yeah. Kind of, and well, at first cop- he picks up the other baby, and he's like, oh, oh yeah, the other baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he, there's just so much physical comedy yeah, in the yeah. movie where it's just like in, incessant physical comedy um, where he just like, yeah, like, like Stephen said, like he picks up the other baby. He's like, oh, no, not that one. That, oh, the other one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like. Yeah. And so he ha- he's forced to take the baby back and then he's over there and he's standing back where he was before and he's trying to figure out. And so he, he starts to think, maybe I'll put the baby back down and pretend this I didn't come across. And then a cop shows up. Yes. Because <laughs> he, yeah, he tries to put the baby back and it's like, damn, yeah. come on. Uh, and then he, and the cop shows up, and the cop um, doesn't kind of just yeah, he kind he's just kind of him. But no, like, no, no, no I mean, he's suddenly. just he, he's looking at him like he sees him put the baby down, and and then when Charlie realizes he's there, he realizes he should just pick the baby back up because he's gonna get uh, you know in trouble. Yeah, even though even, and doesn't you know. he try? Yeah, this is when he tries to put the baby back in the carriage again and walk away, and the woman sees him. Right? Yeah. Well, well, no. I mean, he 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 get, he takes the baby and then he like, um, he starts to go away and then he runs it and then he's like gives it to an old man. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And he gives it to an old man and like says he needs to tie his shoe and he gives it to the old man and then he <laughs> runs away and then the old man goes looking for him and then that old man puts it into the carriage. Um, oh and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and then Chaplin that. thinks he's gotten away. And then the lady sees him again. He's like, you put this baby back in my carriage again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when the cop shows up once yeah, again. Yeah. Um, but lo and behold, after all this, these little shenanigans that happen, um, he finds the note that's pinned on the baby that says, you know, if you find this baby, 
love it and you know in yeah. and whatnot. So he decides to take the baby in as his own, yeah. and he gets he goes back to where he lives, and the person goes, "Oh, is that yours?" He basically says, "Yes." And she asks, "Oh, what's its what's its name?" And he's like, "I, you know, I don't know." And he decides to name it John. John, kind yeah, of on yeah. the spot. Well, one th- one little thing I meant to say about that beginning part where he when he fi- when he first finds the baby, it's just another one of them physical comedy things. I love how like when he finds the baby, you know, like I was saying. He uh, the garbage was coming out of the you know people were throwing garbage from the buildings. I love how when he sees the baby, he looks up, like like did the baby get thrown out of a building or yeah, something? Like, did like somebody throw it from throw the him. sky, <laughs> or did a, did a stalk drop it? He just like looks at the baby and he looks up. He's like, what? <laughs> Where did this come from? <laughs> and what happens is there's a cut back to the the. Um, the, the unknown woman who goes back and sits on a park bench. Yeah. And she's yeah. kind of... She's, like, rethinking everything she's she rethinking did. It. She's rethinking it. She's, like, ah, yeah. oh, she's, like, struggling with it in her head, struggling with it when her start struggling with it with her head. And what you get is some really good facial acting because pretty much when it came to the silent era, there was a lot of facial acting and expression, yeah. you know, through faces because it's kind of all you had. You had to be really emoting with expressive, phys- physicality yeah. and be really expressive. So she goes back to the place where she left the baby and she sees the car is gone. She goes up to the house and she knocks on the door and she says, oh, you know, the baby, you know, the, um, you know, I put the, I'm assuming she says, I put the baby in the car. Now the car is gone. And then the, and, and the chauffeur walks up yeah. the door and says, oh, the car has been stolen. And then she faints. Yeah. And then, and then that's when we get another scene of Charlie Chaplin taking care of the baby. He creates like a, yeah, he creates a little hammock. Looking yeah, like a thing. hammock thing. Yeah. And it's like, Drinking out of like a tea kettle and a tea kettle, yeah, <laughs> and whatnot. It's enough, and he's got like this really busted, broken chair that he's, I guess, trying to fix or whatever. Um, well, no, he's trying to. I think he's trying to make it into uh, something that the baby can maybe is it, what, that what sit. He's in. He cuts a he cuts a hole out of the middle of it. I guess he's trying to figure out a way for the baby to sit down in it without moving. Or oh, I don't he's know. trying to create maybe like a high chair. a high chair of sorts. Yeah. Um, and then he's also like making diapers with pieces of cloth. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. And but he's obviously, you know, intending to take care of him and love him, and and uh, then it kind of fades out, and then uh, it goes to five years later. Five years later. Yep. Five years later. Um, so that time lapse happens, and now the kid is five years old. Um, he um, is. Uh, I also want to mention that the, the kid, literally is portrayed by Jackie Coogan, who is actually, I guess, credited being the first, like, famous child actor. I guess, which you, yeah. Which you don't really think of, of that, because, you know, child actors, like, come and go so many times nowadays that you don't really think of. Where did it all start? Apparently it started with Jackie Coogan, I guess. And Well, he and, ended up having a pretty lengthy career. He was in a right. lot of stuff after this. So, I mean, I guess you could, that could be part of the reason. But, I mean. Yeah, so he is basically his little helper slash partner in crime yeah yeah and they, uh, one of their their gags here at yeah. the beginning is that they uh he breaks windows and he'll come around and fix them and the tramp yeah. comes and fixes them he does <laughs> he does but what is it um, something that's really small and interesting is that when um because the kid he, he walk he, they go, walks into that apartment that ragtag apartment and he he wants to uh, they apparently back in the day you had to pay to uh have the gas turned on yeah. and you had to pay a quarter or something to have the gas turned on to use the stove and whatnot, and to, I guess to use the heater during the winter, 
So he, you know, he puts it in. And apparently, like, I guess the change box is broken, so they just take the quarter out every single time and just reuse it. At least that's what I saw. And I was like, oh, that's hilarious. (laughs) So they have this little racket going on where, like Steven said, um, the uh, the kid breaks the windows with rocks, and and the tramp comes and fixes them. And basically just does that over and over again to, to to people in the neighborhood. But, of course, the police officers patrolling the neighborhood because apparently he's got nothing else to do besides you know patrol the poor neighborhood i guess you know i guess nobody's doing anything downtown and he decides um so he kind of chases the tramp around and chases the kid around a few times it's really funny and it's really all physical great old school physical comedy and the way they the way they did things like that in the silent era, I think is very, very interesting because it's something that is kind of still used today, and I want to make sure I understand the terminology right. Well, yeah, they. I, I, what well, are yeah. you talking about? The speed, the camera. I'm talking speed? about under, yeah, under cranking. Yeah, yeah. The they, way that, the way in which they make these gags look so uh, have such energy to them and move so fast, and the people are running away so fast is because they would shoot at different frames, at different yeah, frame rates. Um, yeah, it was shooting at typically about 14 frames right and then um and then they know, pro- then they projected at like 20 or 21 uh because back in the day back in the, the silent era the way cameras were used you had to crank them yeah. you had to get to crank them by hand and basically i think like you, you had to ca- you had to do a count off like one one thousand two one thousand to yeah. keep a consistency to, yeah just to keep like a not like keep a proper rhythm because that literally you had to pass the you had to pass the film or you know through the light a certain time and you had to keep doing that and projectors were the same way where they had to keep going because the film back then which we've touched on before i think we touched on when we did when we talked about film restoration and preservation it was on silver nitrate which yeah. was highly combustible that stuff would catch on fire like yeah. like nothing and a lot of like a lot of place archives would burn down because the film would catch on fire just sitting around because yeah. if it gets too hot it just goes up like that and and it's just in apparently like that's that, that's why you have to keep cranking keep cranking also you have to keep the frame rates at a certain rate and all that kind of stuff so if you shoot something at a slower frame rate and then you speed it up when you project it it makes everything look faster yeah. and but to do that you had to kind of choreographic choreographic yeah you had to go at, yeah, you go, to a certain, right. yeah. go at a certain speed uh, in the performance, you know. Yes, you had to perform it, and you had to have the timing down just right, or else it would look funny at different at at different projecting styles. Yeah. So that's why you see that a lot in this movie, where a character is running away, or a character is running after something, or you know, someone's bumping into someone, or there's a fight happening, and everything looks sped up. And you see these in a lot of silent films. That's kind. Of, that's what they did. If you're curious, pretty much every film. Now the, the the way it's projected is twenty four frames per second. Yeah, that's that's the the standard. I know over the past couple of years, Steve and I have talked about this a few times. Some people want to shoot in uh, forty eight frames per second, yeah. and everything looks a little too weird. <laughs> it looks it's, too real. It, it, it's too it's too high def. Yeah, and um, and basically things look too real where you notice things you didn't notice before. Like you'll notice. The way the makeup is put on somebody's face, it, it, it really gets like that. it really gets rid of motion blur. And and the thing is, is you don't think you need motion blur, until until you really like take it away. Like it's 
you don't need to see every little detail of something yeah. in a in a film. It takes away its cinematic quality. Yeah, that's its, it's look. That's you know? why a lot of uh, for people out there who buy, I mean, a lot of people do. It's kind of the standard now. Uh, HD TVs, uh, yeah, big screen, small screen doesn't matter. A lot of times, right out of the box, those are. The settings are already the settings got the are motion, already at like yeah. sixty frames per second. It's well, the, yeah, the, they already got the motion blur removal on. on. Yeah, you got to already have that stuff on. So basically, it's called the soap opera effect. Yeah, yeah. Where things look real and they look they actually look fake because they look too real. I try to explain. Go, I try to explain this to my girlfriend, and she did. Uh, she, I'm just like, look, I'm telling I'm just, you, I'm just gonna turn this off. You we're turning this. I'm turning this off because we got a new 4K TV. Right. Um, and I'm like, look. I'm telling you, you don't want this shit on, um, because no. it, like, like there's just you, you don't understand it. But I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm just gonna turn this off. Remember, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is we're going way off track as you have to reel me in. But um, like Christopher McQuarrie and like Tom Cruise did like yeah, a PSA they did a while they were making Mission Impossible, yeah. so, like telling people turn turn that stuff off. Cause turn it's that not, shit off. It's not because I mean, going, kind of going back to Chaplin. The way, you know, considering Chaplin was, you know, he, he controlled all aspects of his productions, is that um, the modern-day directors kind of control all aspects of their production as well, including the way the film should look on screen afterward when it's projected. Yeah. And afterward when you're watching it wherever. For me, my my thing has always been to watch something, uh, you know, the way it's intended to be watched. Correct aspect yeah. ratio correct colors correct everything because you know these there's a reason why you know these filmmakers go through painstaking months and months and years and years of production to make things look a certain way and your your tv out of the box all of a sudden makes it look completely different than the sure. way they had it intended the, the, the only mean, thing that i need that motion not is is something that has like a, maybe a documentary that's about it perhaps you know, like i mean like or something nature wise i, I don't need any you know, I don't need things to be too perfect. It's that makes for boring, a boring visual style when things are just too high depth. So, but right. so we need we, to re we need to reel back in. Here. Reel it back into the plot. So, uh, you know, we see all their little like uh, their streetwise shenanigans and all that kind of stuff. F father son bonding, yes. <laughs> bonding stuff that just happens to be crimes as well. But anyway, we cut over to the woman who, of course, you know, she's, she's now, had a life in five years. And she's yeah, now she's like a, a big she's time. She's a celebrity, yeah. Yeah, she's like a big time like celebrity. But one of the things she likes to do is that um, she likes to do charity work coincidentally yeah. in the same area, area. in which yeah. <laughs> her child is that she's not aware of yet. Yeah. And there's a sweet there's yeah. a scene where it's that whole like crossing paths where she's like helping some kids and then her actual kid that she doesn't know is her kid's like sitting right there. And they they meet each other, and it's like, hmm, damn, they're yeah, right there. They're right there. And to be honest, that's a modern day trope you've seen in a oh, lot of movies. Oh, there's this movie. I mean, we'll get TV into shows. it. Well, yeah. I mean, I just I guess I can just get into it now a little yeah, bit. Yeah, why not? Um, this movie's kind of been remade a few times. I bet it um, is. I mean, uh, some people would say uh, the Adam Sandler movie Big Daddy is kind of a remake of this in, in ways, you know? yeah. I mean, it is somebody who becomes a reluctant father, um, and then ends up loving him. And by ends the up end. loving that child as its own, as its yeah. own. I mean, how many times have we seen that trope? It's in been general? used so many times. Yeah. I mean, and it's not. Sometimes it's even, you know, a a biological child that you may be estranged from comes back into your life, and you yeah. have to. 
um, raise it or whatnot. Um, we've seen that happen many times. And, and apparently they're going to be remaking it again in an animated way, a of sci-fi course. animated movie called The Kid. Oh, it's sh- based Shockingly on the... original title. I Shockingly know, right? original. Oh, yeah. Uh, but basically she does, uh, but going back to the plot, she does this to kind of fill that void of regret in her life. Um, she does it, I guess, to, I guess, remind herself of her greatest sin, giving up her child, uh, abandoning her child, and she goes down there, she just hands out toys and whatnot, and she's holding, and the one old woman comes over and, like, hands her the baby, and she, she kind of, she holds it, and she kind of reminisces about her own child, and it's really, it's, it, 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 you, you get a sense of recognition and see what, what, you know, kind of the emotional impact that, that, that moment still has on her. Yeah. And it's very interesting um, how, how they play on the trope of, like we said, you know, we as audience members know something that the pe- person on the screen doesn't know. Mm. Alfred Hitchcock used to do this all the time with his murder movies where we would literally see the murders happen and we know who did it, but the people investigating the murder didn't don't know who did yeah. it at all. Um, what it, so that happens, and I want to say... The next thing that happens is the kid. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! What a bully shows up. Yes. A bully shows, bully up, shows up. Takes 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 the, the toy kid. or the ball yeah. or whatever the kid has, um, and there's a big fight that happens. Yes. It's a big this fight. Is, and this is great. Apparently, everybody starts everybody starts crowding around. Everybody All the people cheering. that live in the area apparently there come is, in. I mean, guess there's nothing else to do down there other than yeah, cheer yeah. on these kids beating the heck out of each other, and you know, one's beating up one, one's beating up the other. And then um, the tramp comes out, and he sees that his kid's in a fight, and he goes down there, and he tries to break it up, and then he starts rooting. Then he starts rooting well, for his the, kid his, to win. His kid, his kid starts to kick ass, and yeah, then, uh, and he starts rooting for him. Yeah, and then the kid, then the other kid's brother shows up, who looks, uh, who looks like he's wearing uh, hockey pads, basically, because I mean, he, he, looks, lo- he <laughs> looks like he's like thirty years older than his yeah, brother. Yeah, at least. And he's, he's wearing a, like he's wearing like a, a pillow underneath his shirt. That's what it looked. Yeah, it's like yeah. He's wearing hockey pads, yeah. and he's got a bowler hat on. Apparently, like. Yeah. Back in the twenties, you know, apparently wearing a boulder hat and having big broad. He looked and like the meth. Chest. He looked like Rocky on meth. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, back in the day, like that's how they showed tough guys. Yeah. Where these these brooding, big, sh- wide, square shoulder guys with these gruff looking faces and these bowler hats on, and yeah. they're always wearing like striped shirts or something. I don't know. They're wearing like like mock we're, turtlenecks. He's wearing Freddy Krueger's outfit. Freddy Krueger's outfit, basically. <laughs> But uh, yeah, he, he comes in. The brother comes in, and he says, "Okay, they're gonna fight again. And if he, your son wins, I'm gonna beat you up." Yeah, basically. <laughs> so so they're fighting again, and the tramp's getting nervous. And basically, I think the kid knocks down. No, he steps in, and he like steps he, like, on stops the kid his while he's son on the from beating up the other kid. Yeah, yeah, he stops his kid from beating the other kid by step by like standing on him, and he yeah, just yeah. holds the hand of the other kid. Oh yeah, he won. Yeah, yeah. Right, he pretends that he won. And um, but of course the the brother's gonna kick his ass no matter what. So he starts to get ready to kick his ass, and everybody kind of shrinks away. Everybody kind of goes away. And then the uh, and he starts the, roughing the girl, him up. Or the girl comes in. Yes. While during the fight, um, the unknown woman comes back and tries and basically tries to stop, saying like you know you know you wouldn't hit this guy you know he wouldn't hit them you know. And anywho, um, the tramp picks up a brick and keeps hitting the guy in the yeah. head over and over again <laughs> in a hilarious comedic situation. It's great, yeah. And if I'm, um, 
And if I'm this other guy, I'm just like, dude, just go down already. <laughs> just yeah, go really. down. Keep sitting him over there. Because he keeps, he keeps trying to swing it. He keeps trying to hit him in the face, and he keeps yeah. missing. He keeps, he keeps missing. Right. He keeps just bashing him on the head with a brick. And I'm like, yeah. damn, this guy takes like 20 brick shots to the head. And he, he <laughs> must be concussed beyond God. beyond all reason. He, anywho, he eventually, um, I guess he's, the guy eventually goes away, essentially. Yeah. But what and, is interesting uh, is yeah. that there's a cut in that scene between like when the girl when the woman shows up and when and then like when, when the the brick hitting happens where like i felt like they were just like missing stuff from there i don't know why i thought it was because like she goes away and like the crowd returns in the background and they weren't there before it's a, it's kind of a mismatching shot i don't know if there's just stuff that was lost or cut out but i just kind of noticed that it's an abrupt cut if you if you see this movie or if you've seen it already and you notice that just Pay attention to it. But anywho, what ends up happening is the kid just randomly gets sick. And yeah. uh, the woman comes carrying him over and she says, like, oh, he's not feeling well, he's not feeling well, he gets sick. And she goes to get a doctor. He brings him upstairs and the doctor comes in. <laughs> the doctor comes in and thinks he's examining Charlie Chaplin. He puts a thermometer in his mouth. Yeah. And, and, the, and it's like, no, no, it's the kid over there. It's the kid over there. And he goes and he examines the kid. And um, he guess the kid's pretty sick. and But he starts asking... Um, the tramp, you know, are you this? Are you this child's father? And he's like, oh yeah, practically. And the doctor goes, practically. What do you What do you mean? He's like, and then and then Charlie Chaplin, he has like this this pile of papers and there's just dust all over. And he blows it, and the dust goes all over the doctor's face. And the doctor just just sneezes and whatnot. But anyway, he hands him the original note that says, you know, if if you see this orphan, love it and and take and and raise it. And the doctor's apparently not having that. Apparently, he's like, you know, this child needs to be properly taken care for, properly taken care of. So he leaves. And and then the next sequence is basically kind of Chaplin's commentary on the the child welfare system that he was a part of when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, he was in and out of like these, these homes for destitute children. He was you know, kind of handed around the system and whatnot because his mother was, you know, reliable, not reliable. He had to stay with his estranged dad who was uh, apparently an extreme alcoholic at one point. So this film is definitely commenting on a lot of the, the, the welfare system but also commenting on his his life as well because he didn't have a tramp-like character who took him in and loved mm-hmm. him and whatnot. So he's trying to, guess, you know, idealize something that he didn't have. Yeah. And that's kind of what I got from from the whole sequence, from the whole sequence pretty much from here to the end of the movie, where you see his character frantically fight to retain, you know, literally custody of his child. So what happens is the cop comes along. Uh, well, I don't, yeah, it's a... Yeah, yeah it's a little it's bit It's not later. a cop, but it's like... um. Like uh, the orphanage people coming yeah, to get the so, kid. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's definitely still kind of like a a, a a security kind of dude or whatever you want to call him. He, right. he works for them, and they come in to try to take a kid away, and the tramp fights him, and the kid gets loose and runs, but then he gets picked back up again and put in a truck, and the tramp jumps out up on the roof and tries to get back to him, and then there's a nice chase scene in a truck. There really is. But yeah. What is interesting is it's a very physical scene. Yeah. And it's, it, it shows there's a lot of emotion that's in it. The kid's crying and pleading in the back of the truck, and these welfare, these you know, these people from this orphanage just don't, literally don't give a shit at all about this child, about this 
this child, you know, the way it's reacting and whatnot. And it basically, Chaplin's like fighting off at one point three guys because they call him that that cop from earlier. Um, what yeah. is interesting is there was a scene earlier we didn't touch where basically like the cop's wife was like flirting with the, oh, yeah, flirting with Chaplin when he was doing the windows. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and and like the cop caught him. Uh, it was very, it was very funny. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, um, but what is interesting is that at one point he's fighting off these three guys and he does get away. Um, and he goes to the roof and he's kind of just like kind of roof jumping like a freaking superhero yeah, yeah. where he's going from one like one satchel roof to the next one or yeah I don't know shingled roof yeah shingles anywho but he sees the truck running he sees the truck driving down the street and he jumps off a roof and jumps into the back of the truck yeah. knocks the guy out of the back of the truck um, and he just holds his son and that's kind of I think that's the shot they used for the poster or something or some promotional mm-hmm. work yeah, just yeah, yeah. him holding the kid and crying basically um, and he, so he gets out of the, tr- so it stops, he gets out and the driver looks back and is like, Oh, oh. <laughs> and he gets scared. The driver gets scared. It's like, I don't know how that guy get there. And he just yeah. runs away. He just runs away. Um, it's, and what happens is, um, then there's a cut back to the woman, the unknown woman returns and the doctors and she goes in to see i guess the state of the child and of course we know they're not there and the doctor the doctor's there as well and she goes and he goes like there's nobody there or something like that there's yet again no no dialogue we're just making this up yeah and, which, and she gets the note she and finds then he, the and note. Then he she, hands her the note and she's like oh my goodness i wrote this and then and then that's, yeah, that's yeah. the realization that that's her child this whole time yeah and and then i believe that's when we cut back to him basically going to a homeless shelter i guess yeah or, or as they uh, eloquently well, he, call it. He, he yeah he got he you know they're looking for him both so right he goes in by himself and then he sneaks the kid in yeah they're hiding they're hiding out and laying low uh they, they're laying low from the lawman and i think it's called i i think i read in a synopsis where it's called a flop house which i guess not the best term i've called yeah i guess <laughs> and, uh, anywho it's a homeless shelter and he tries to i initially i think he tries to sneak in just to save the money but I think your your theory may be, may be better. Well, no, yeah, he's just trying to keep it low. I think I think he's trying to make sure because they're looking for the kid, right? And so so, but he doesn't want to separate himself from him. So he, he gets in by himself and then he um, opens the window and lets the kid in and sneaks him in under the covers. And but of course, in the middle of the night, the covers get un, un off the kid, and then the guy that's on watch, some some dude, uh, sees the kid and uh, has read in the paper that there's a reward. Thousand dollars, yeah, thousand yeah. dollar reward for for this kid. I guess they must have had a very descriptive <laughs> description of this child because he he. I don't know if the guy just saw like the first child. He's just, just I guess he's just like this. This could never. This this is a one. This could never happen any other time. You know, this is this must be it. This must, this be, must the be the child. So anyway, <laughs> he ends up stealing this shot, stealing the kid, and brings yeah. him to the police station. The kid is just just Out all over him. He's going crazy. He's pulling the beard. He's hitting the guy he's going crazy um and and then chaplin wakes up and notices the kid isn't there and he's frantically looking for him again yeah yet again that emotion is really really there like you really feel like that this is a father who's lost his child and is frantically looking for him and i think that that emotion is uh very con not only contemporary but i think it's it's universal to the point where it's effective back in 1921 and it's effective now oh yeah like it, it works like this movie still works today even though it's 2019 and not 1921 
Yeah. And basically, he's searching the streets. He's running around the streets looking for him, and he can't find him. And we get a. Sh- I think that's when we transition to. It says like dawn or something like that. Basically, the next yeah, morning. Yeah. And the woman does show up to the police station, and to basically retrieve this child. There's not a lot of um, uh, like legal things happening here. <laughs> like no. like le- no no. There's no there's no legal, uh, there's yeah, no legal channels happening over here. Some real real life like, stuff. Like, like this woman essentially just claimed that this is my child, and I want. But she's it a back. Ce- she's a celebrity, so they believe her. <laughs> I guess, which I guess is also true to today. If you. Ha- if you have money and celebrity, you have a certain like, power stance, and you can use that power to get whatever you want. Yeah. If you want that child, you're going to get that child, essentially. And so she takes him, and and then um, I think this is when he returns back to... Yeah, he returns, he returns back, back to his to house where he can't get in because it's locked. Right. And, and, uh, and then he like falls the asleep on yeah. the front porch. And we get this sequence. Yeah, this, this dream dreamland. Sequence. Which is yeah. very interesting. Now I want to talk about this because he, he falls asleep, and and he's in the stream, and it's everybody's got like wings, and everybody's angels, yeah. and they're frolicking around. Everybody's happy. Everything is utopian. It's all great, but it, it's all happening in that kind of courtyard of where you know all these people live. And basically, what happens is like you see these gates that are like these kind of I guess quote unquote pearly gates, yeah. and what happens is these, these three demons sneak in and start messing around and they start like like just putting like thoughts into people's heads and making all kind of ruckus and what we see is that um, the the kid is there he has angel wings as well uh, Charlie Chaplin gets fitted for angel wings he's flying around and whatnot we also see that 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 big brother goon type guy from earlier on he's there he's got wings too but he also has like a girlfriend and coincidentally that girl that he has is would end up being Charlie Chaplin's second wife. And at the time, she was like 12 years old when they made this movie. Uh, yet again, bringing that kind of weird, weird creepy factor in <laughs> back in. So that's kind of, I think that's when like the initially first worked together. Anywho, but she's in there and this demon kind of comes up to her and has her basically tempt the, the, the tramp character and just starts, like, flirting with him and kind of, you know, seducing him and whatnot to kind of just create ruckus. And then, of course, the boyfriend finds out, but he's kind of fine with it because I guess they have this utopian, like, everybody loves everybody. It's kind of like a crazy hippie commune, (laughs) you know, like, like 40 years before there were, like, hippies around. But, anywho, but then another one whispers in his ear and... Like you know, like uh, like jealousy or whatever, and like he becomes he becomes insanely jealous, and he starts like you know fight. He starts fighting him, but then the chaplain character starts flying to get away, and then I think he crash lands, and his wings are all broken on his stoop or whatever. And the guy walks over to him and starts and picks him up and starts like shaking him, shaking him, and then yeah. what we get though is in the sequence to start the sequence is there's just a wide shot of the courtyard, and then everybody kind of just like phases in. It's a really sophisticated special effect for 1920, where everyone kind of just like fades in out of nowhere, and then afterwards at the end, every like it kind of fades back into reality, where the guard is the one that's shaking him awake, and it's done so very interestingly. I really wish I did some research into how they they did those shots because uh-huh. I don't know if it's an overlay or if it's 
you know, kind of just skipping some camera frames and putting people into place and whatnot because there's a lot of in-camera tricks that they used back in the 20s that are really sophisticated. You wouldn't think they'd be able to do such things. Like, there's a shot in uh, Hitchcock's uh, The Lodger where you literally see someone pacing above somewhere and to the point where there's this effect where, uh, like, the ceiling becomes transparent and you can see the person walking. It's really kind of amazing. And it's just kind of a really cool special, in-camera special effect. But anywho, he gets shaken awake by this cop. And the cop, you know, grabs him and tells him to come with him, basically. And they get in what I th- initially thought was a cop car, but it looked w- it looks way too nice on a second view yeah. to be a cop car. And anywho, they drive over to the woman's house, gets to the door, opens the door, and the kid and the woman are there. The cop has a good laugh. And happily ever after, the yeah. end. Everybody, everybody loves everybody. That's what Chaplin does, is he gives you typically happy endings. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes. Sometimes. In this case, yes. Other cases, perhaps not. I think the end of The Great Dictator is kind of depressing, but also really hopeful. Um, But then you got, like, the the City city of Lights. City of Lights and um, Modern Times and things like that. Um, But this is, yeah, this is his first feature film, and it's, it's really amazingly sophisticated I think when it comes to thematic layering there's so many layers I think we've gone through I mean the father and son you know the the social commentary on the welfare system um, just just the the comedy and the drama mixed into one and how how well it blends into one another I think is all really fantastic this is this is a fantastic movie yeah, I've seen and, it now th- three times it's it's great yeah and I think that one aspect of Chaplin other it, it, that you can't over, you know, uh, overlook is just di- just direction itself. Like his right. direction, uh, you know, because directing is a new thing. You know, it's he's doing some, like you said, sophisticated things as a director. Um, when it's a new medium, he's really taking chances and and he knows where to put the camera and how long to, you know, you know, there was not multi-camera stuff going on yet, you know. So it was all everything was a lot of stuff was happening in one shot and. He know he knows how to place the camera in the right places, and it, it's just a lot of just overall just genius stuff. It really is, and it shows his his knack for storytelling. Only, yeah, storytelling, but also technical aspects and acting, of course. Um, like I said, man of the basically a million the hats, re- re- renaissance jack of all, man. jack of all trades. Um, he he didn't have any wasted time, I think, in in this movie. No. Where everything I think pushes the plot forward, every scene makes make like makes sense. Every scene is is moves the plot along because the movie is only fifty three minutes. Initially, I'm very curious what the extra fifteen minutes that he had in this movie. There's an extra seven minutes and change on the Blu-ray that like are a couple of extra scenes that honestly don't really need didn't really need to be in the movie. Like they could have cut. They could cut them out; they'd be fine. There's some extra stuff with the unknown woman. Um, it just I was gonna say that... I would have liked to seen more with her. That's what um, kind of like the bulk of the extra the extra scenes are. They're mostly just there's stuff with her, like before the five year time jump, and while she's a celebrity, I think there's like a yeah. scene with like her at a party or something. Um, I guess that would kind of be nice for her character um, because we don't get much with her, like yeah. like. Is she? I'm guessing she's like a stage actress or like a theater actress or something, because one of the scenes that we see 
when we first see her, is like, oh, the reviews are just marvelous. She They're did a glowing. fantastic job. They're glowing. Yeah, everybody yeah. loves you. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's it's a good movie. I just I, I love really it. Love I, I love the kid. I, I, I This is the second time watching it. Mm. And uh, it's it's just such a delightful movie. Right. Um, and I'd be- say, I'll say this. Um, it's... It's not my favorite Charlie Chaplin oh, movie. Oh, no. It's not my favorite either. But. I think it's... I don't even think it's the most polished. Like, I think the movies that came out after this are really, like... like a, Not a step up. Not to degrade this movie in any way, but I think, like, like Gold Rush is a better movie. Modern Times is a better movie. City Lights is a better movie. And, you know, even, like, The Circus is a good... Is, is, is kind of on par with it. But I think what really... What, what makes this movie so interesting is that you do have him paired with a kid... I, you yeah. don't really see him get paired with a kid that much. There was a movie, there was a short film he did before this where he was basically paired up with a dog the whole time, which is really endearing. I think it was the movie that came out before this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really, um, really endearing. But usually the movies that came out after us were dealing with Chaplin trying uh, in romances, and, yeah. at least in my opinion. Uh, Gold Rush, there was kind of a ro- there was romance in there. And, and of course, in City Lights. Dictator, City Lights... I want to say modern times as well, and those movies kind of played that whole level, that romance trope that we've seen. not. It wasn't a trope at the time, but we've seen you know somebody yeah. pining after someone or somebody you know two romantic. Well, you got to you got to think. Yeah, it's, you have to think it's, of the time. It, it's different. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, that and just like if you're you know thinking about what a way to have a broad appeal, right? You know, you, you know you 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 have your social commentary in in movies like Modern Times and and Great Dictator, but to add a romance angle brings in more women. You know, brings in more True. the wider audience. Yeah, women so. were very very involved in the silent era. Um, women were not only. Uh, crew workers, but they were, there was a lot of female directors in the silent yeah. era, which we've talked oh, yeah. about. Uh, it was interesting, very interesting. I bring this up again, but it was the Holly, the, the quote unquote golden age where the Hollywood studio system really took over is when women became kind of relegated to like yeah. lesser roles when it came to filmmaking, or women were kind of like pushed out of like director seats and producer seats and all that kind of yeah. stuff, and they were kind of relegated to like editors, which are great. I mean, editors are the most important part of the movie, but I mean, like. They kind of pushed them out, but I, but that was something for like that didn't happen to like ten years later. But getting back to Chaplin, yeah, I, I, I can't say much more about this movie, and I kind of want to reserve maybe more Chaplin stuff, like about his life for other movies that we may talk about later. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll definitely come back to Chaplin, do more spotlights on some of his other films at some point. Because and, uh... yeah, because he did, I mean. He did work with a lot it, of. It would be interesting women. for maybe for yeah. the next time we do one of his films to do one of his later films, right. um, where he you know had to transition into the talkies, right? You know, do like Limelight or or something like that. And a lot of people don't like Monsieur Verdu, uh, but I kind of like it. But I really like it. It's 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 kind of it's a little too long, but it's it's <laughs> it's, it's dark, really dark comedy. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, we'll get into all that later on. Yeah, yeah. So, Stephen, uh, take me out of here before I just talk about other things. Yeah, I, I got you. I got you. <laughs> all right. So, look, one more time before before I we cut out here, I'm gonna refresh this Criterion thing. Oh, and big, big money. Nothing. Nothing. Oh. Nothing. And so, we're shut out again. And we're shut out for this. You know episode. what's crazy is it'll it'll probably drop like right after this right after we get done with this. Probably not though. Um, 
But that's going to be it for this episode of the Cinema Discovery Project. We hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion of Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. I'm Stephen Billings. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, you can find my Instagram where I post all my goodies. haven't been posting a lot lately. I need to update that. Um, and you can find the audio for this podcast on uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts. Where can we find you, Andrew? You can find me on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. And that will be it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and hey, keep on watching them movies. I know I will. <laughs>